0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Amen. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of 2 Kings chapter 3, and uh, perhaps do a little bit extra reading tonight, um, but and then if you'll just hold that place because we're going to, we're just going to stay right here in the confines of this story so to speak the book of 2nd Kings chapter 3 and verse 16 the Bible says and he said thus saith the Lord make this valley full of ditches for thus saith the Lord you shall not see wind neither shall you see rain yet that valley that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beast. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stone. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun shone upon the water And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain and they have smitten one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. When they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. And uh, with the help of the Lord tonight, I wanna just talk about ditches in the desert this evening. Ditches in the desert. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for standing. This was certainly a time of trouble in the life and history of Israel The kings of Israel and Judah and Edom were gone forth to battle against the king of Moab and it was a very severe and stressful time. War and strife is never a pretty thing. The evil between, whether that is evil between nations or whether that is evil between individuals. We see many uh, times on news reports, we see a... the end result of battle or war. And you see many times in the Middle East such a troubled spot on the globe. And, and you see cities that are just laid in utter chaos and destruction. And to be honest with you, I doubt very few of us can relate to something of that nature. We kind of see that image uh, on the news and, and we think how sad that may be, but to actually put yourself there in the midst of all of that chaos. Probably the most recent thing in uh, the minds of Americans, or at least most Americans that would even come close to that would be 9-11. And to think about the destruction, however, that was limited to just very few buildings in one city. But when you think about this kind of chaos and destruction being widespread, many cities that are just utterly uh, laying bare, it's just a little bit much for the human mind to imagine and so when you think about war and strife, there's, there's no really way around, around the fact that there's gonna be a lot, of, uh, a lot of disaster. There's gonna be a lot of destruction. It's In truth, it takes many years, if not decades, if ever, I may even interject here, for a nation to recover from the devastating effects of war when something has just been totally destructed than to try to rebuild that. And so to the horrors and the perils of war in this case was added a fresh difficulty. Not only were they in battle, not only were all the things that I just mentioned true and certainly things to consider on the table, but their armies now were passing through a desert and they had no water to drink. And again, this is a difficult thing for us to put our ourselves into. It's a difficult uh, scenario to truly put ourselves into. I mean, we've all been thirsty, but we've rarely ever been without water and been without any resource or any hope of any resource. And so here are men uh, that were in a great battle. And so it's no wonder uh, with the soldiers weak and with no water for either them or their horses or their cattle, that they would in their minds begin to succumb to the idea of defeat that inevitably we are going to fall at the hand of the Moabites. There's no way that we can overcome the devastation of war, and now we are faced with a desert and no water. But it's here that the prophet Elijah was sent and and being consulted by the kings of Israel and Judah. I want you to listen to what Elijah says or really what the Lord says through Elijah. And uh, you know, it's just almost... uh, amazing sometimes what the Lord can whisper into your spirit at certain junctures of your life this certainly seems to be out of sync with where they are this seems to be almost on the border of absurd but if you look at verse number 16 the Bible says thus saith the Lord make this valley full of ditches that just seems like the last thing we need to be doing right now uh, we are we, we got trouble on every side. We've got men in the camp that are wounded and bleeding. We've got, we've got a lot of things going on. We've got cattle and horses and men that are almost to die of, of thirst. And now the word of the Lord comes at this particular moment. I want you to make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, he just reminded them that you're not gonna see wind, neither shall you see rain, Yet that valley that I speak of, that valley shall be filled with water. It's gonna be filled with water, it's gonna be a place that you're gonna be refreshed, it's gonna be a place that your cattle and your horses and everything that's with you are as the Bible puts it here, your beast. They're going to be satisfied. This very valley that I speak to you. So this is not some random act, but in verse number 18 he reminds them that as bizarre as this may sound or even seem to you, This is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord, amen. And then just kind of tacked on to the end of all of these instructions is a promise, yet another promise, but a very important promise. He said, he will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. It's almost a, by the way, I want you to dig this valley full of ditches and I want you to realize that this very valley that we're talking about is going to be filled with water, but you're not going to see any rain. You're not going to feel any wind. You're not going to smell that promise coming. But it's going to happen, and you're going to be refreshed, and the beasts that are with you are going to be refreshed. And, by the way, you're going to defeat the enemy. They're going to be given to you into your hand. And, and uh, I, I know that seems sort of strange and out of context of where they are, it does seem like a strange command. To dig, to dig ditches in a desert place, but so is the spiritual kingdom of God, sometimes a very, very uh, a rather ordinary, or unordinary I should say, sometimes the kingdom of God can be very unordinary and the, and the Lord can ask some things of us that we just can't quite get our minds around. God seems like he chooses the most unlikely places and oftentimes it seems like God uses some of the most unlikely people to work through. Amen, and I'm just gonna speak starting with myself. It just seems like God just chooses unlikely places to to move, and it seems like often he uses unlikely people. That's why we should never discount anybody in the kingdom of God. You know, we look at things with our eyes. We're we're just human, and we are accustomed sometimes to sizing things up ourselves, and um, here we find... uh, when David was being selected or the next king of Israel was being selected after Saul when Jesse was asked to summon his sons uh, when you read that story we can really see clearly that Jesse already had assumed who was going to be the next king because he said look at Eliab I mean he just looks like a leader he's going to be him and, and Samuel is standing there and he's saying no that's it. this is not the one is there another and and there is an assumption in the, on the part of man that What we see with our eyes, we think we can figure God out sometimes. And then in the most unlikely place, which was out uh, tending some sheep, and the most unlikely man, which was a young, ruddy-faced man named David, he is called and, and when he walks into the presence of Samuel the priest, God speaks to him and lets him know this is the next king of Israel. He looks like anything but a king. He probably looks like a shepherd. That's what he had spent his life, his young life doing. I would assume that he smelled like a shepherd. He smelled of sheep. There was nothing about him, his countenance, that gave any inclination at all that this was going to be the next leader, especially if you're going to compare him in your mind to their former leader, which was Saul, who the Bible talks about standing head and shoulders above all men. I mean, Saul just sort of looked the part of leadership, he looked like a natural leader, and I think in many ways he was. But the Lord chose here now this unlikely person. It's a fact that the work of the kingdom, uh, sometimes we often guide that by human emotions. We weigh certain things out. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the writings of Solomon, he says, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, Ecclesiastes 11 and 4, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Or in other words, if you're always waiting for the perfect time, there's never going to be a perfect time. Now, I, I'm, I am uh, not trying to cast all of a, I'm not trying to just throw caution to the wind by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, there's just some things that you're, you're never going to have everything all together before some things happen in your life. And, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, to a young married couple, if you're trying to, I'm, I'm certainly not wanting to imply that it's okay just to go get over your head in debt, but if you're going to wait till you, all the planets are lined up before you ever purchase anything, uh, those planets may never line up. Consequently, you may never have anything. And so there, there is some risk that we take in our lives. With, without some risk, there is very, very little reward. And so if we're not careful, uh, that's what Solomon is talking about. He said, if you're waiting for the perfect day to plant, that perfect day may not be in this calendar year. Therefore, you may not have a harvest in due time. And so at some point, you just gotta say, this is what we're going to do today. We're gonna plant, regardless of what the the wind is doing, regardless, excuse me, what the clouds are doing. Many times we judge by outward circumstance and we, we forget, although we quote it often, that God's ways are not our ways and that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so if we're not careful as a body of Christ, we can fail to work whenever God gives us the opportunity. But here's what I wanna suggest tonight, that we always must work When a door of opportunity opens, we must step through that door. Even though it doesn't make sense to us at the time, we need to step through those doors. We need to step into that venue and see what God can make of that. Even though it may seem like the most unlikely or perhaps even the most unpromising or unfulfilling field of labor, when God calls us wherever we are to dig wells in the valley, That's what we ought to be doing is digging wells in the valley. It was a strange command in all truthfulness because there was no appearance of rain whatsoever. It's almost another scenario of Noah. Noah is told to build an ark, but there's no sign of rain. There's no uh, inclination of rain. There was no river nearby where they could draw water from where these wells or these ditches were going to be supplied. And so why would you possibly dig water or dig ditches or dig wells when there is, you don't even know where the water is going to come from. Amen. This is a very strange scenario. But I would suggest it's not a scenario that we don't often find ourselves in in this time that we live in today. Maybe we're not digging wells and maybe we're not in the desert, but God asks of us something that just seems so untimely or out of sync. It doesn't seem to make sense. And it doesn't make sense to us because we live in the age of such practicality. We just want everything to be practical and so I can't talk about practical without standing on my own toes, so y'all just mind me uh, for just a few moments here. And uh, my, my wife, is, is, uh, from time to time, she she reminds me, she says, go ahead, just stop being so practical. Just go for it. Amen, and and I need that. If it wasn't, that, if it wasn't for that word of admonition in my life, I would probably just live in a little burrowed out hole somewhere. <laughs> And so you need somebody to just kind of light that fire under you and say, uh, you know, we live in such a practical age and I'm not trying to take away all of that. But, but, you know, mankind just likes to have a reason for everything, a reason for everything. People like to be assured of their return on, on whatever their investment may be, whether that's monetarily or whether that's our time or effort energy. We just like to be assured that whatever I do is not going to be a waste of time. But it's not always that way in the kingdom. Sometimes we invest money by faith or we invest time by faith or we invest effort in ministries by faith and you never know where those seeds are going to. I often am encouraged. Brother Rayleigh preached about this. Actually, it's just been years ago now. Uh, But I have never forgotten the illustration about casting your bread upon the water. And he talked about how that that particular season when that was being asked, that the that the river of jordan was out of its banks and when you cast bread on the water while the river is out of its banks that means that that water that seed is being taken the water is taking the seed to places that it would you would n- otherwise never be able to reach and so I wanna cast my bread upon the water and realize that when God commands me to do that, I may be commissioning a word or a seed or a measure of hope into an area at that time because timing is everything with God. And so I may be, I may be casting a seed into the ground at that particular time that I personally may never have another opportunity to pass by, or maybe others would never have an opportunity to pass by. And so if we're not careful, when we want such a promise of a return on our effort, if we're not careful, even Holy Ghost-filled people can be inclined to question the effectiveness of what God is commanding us to do. Now, I'm not gonna suggest tonight that this one place in Scripture is the only thing that God commands that doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things that God says, I want you to do this, and we don't really have an explanation because God is sovereign and he owes us no explanation whatsoever. I think I mentioned this the other day about uh, why did God choose blood? We have no idea, but he chose blood. And the blood became the, the, the promise for the children of Israel to make their exodus out of the land of Egypt. And so the Lord requests a lot of things. You know, the Bible still talks about resting on the Sabbath day but who's got time to rest? Who's got time to stop? Because we gotta keep going. And the Bible talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And there's a lot of people that just rationalize themselves right out of that command Think, Well, that just doesn't apply to me. You know, if I don't go to church and just feel warm and fuzzy all over before I leave, then it was all a waste. But that's not what the Lord said. He doesn't say continue to go as long as it feels good or you feel like you're getting something out of it. He just said, don't forsake that. Don't forsake that coming together. And on and on and on and on, the scripture is replete with such commands. But I believe something significant happens when we move in obedience to the word and the will of God. Sometimes we see that end result. Sometimes we didn't move when the Lord told us to halt and we see the end result of that, a promise of that. And other times, uh, I believe the Lord has spoken into my heart, spoken to my heart, about doing something, and I just acted on that. But you know what? Thunder—the the, the sky didn't fill with lightning. I didn't hear any thunder. Nothing happened. But I feel like in my heart that something was released by that obedience. Does that make Does that make sense? Amen. So God has commanded us certain things. Amen. That God has said it. Really, in truth, that ought to be enough. That the Lord said to do this. God never gives a command without a good reason for doing so, even if he doesn't tell us what that reason is. I may not see the reason. I may not ever know the reason. As a matter of fact, I'll be real bold here. I might not even ever benefit from the result of that. I may not be the direct recipient of that, but I wanna still move when the Lord says to move. I'm convinced by Uh, by reason, I'm convinced by history, I am convinced by my own personal experience that whatever the command may be, a real benefit follows those that will obey that. Now I'm gonna tell you there are testimonies all across this house tonight of people that have felt prompted of the Lord to do something and you stepped out in obedience to that and you saw the hand of God bless you in your life for that. I'll take that one step further. I, I believe I'm speaking to people and not just a few here tonight that have done things that by faith you have, you have obeyed the word of God, the will of God and in a specific area or maybe about a specific thing and God has rewarded you for that openly more than one time. Amen. I know that I've been rewarded more than one time for certain things and just somehow when that blessing came my way, I just felt in my heart God was saying that is for what happened last month or last year or two years ago or four years ago or whatever the case may be. There's a, there's a residual blessing that just keeps coming into your life. And so whatever that command may be, I have to know from experience that there's a real benefit to being obedient to that. What about fasting and things of that nature? Fasting, that's not a real popular subject in anybody's book. And so some could rationalize, now what? possible good would it do for me not to eat but the Lord and the word of God talks about fasting and what that does for our heart and our lives and and I'm going to tell you from experience I can speak from experience not alone here tonight but I can speak from experience that that there's something powerful that is released in our lives when we acquiesce to God's commission and command to fast not just to uh, I think we ought to have some kind of consistency about our fasting, but, but there are times that the Lord just specifically moves upon us and, and that's, what we have to, that's what we have to obey. Our prayer, our giving, our faithfulness and the list could go on and on and on. It may also be said that, that real unhappiness and, and some real unfulfillment can also follow that, this, the disobedience of such things. There have been times i felt prompted to fast and, and, and miss that because I just rationalized my way right out of it. Amen, I'm just saying me tonight because I got the microphone, but I'm sure you could, you could nod your head at least in agreement. There have been times, and, and I'm not just talking about guilt, but we can just feel that, that I missed a door of opportunity, so I've got to be very uh, diligent in, in, my, in my future about things like that. There have been times that I felt prompted of the Lord to pray in the middle of the night. And there have been times I got up and went to the living room and knelt down and prayed and, and, uh, and I, I really didn't feel uh, some, some particular direction but I'm gonna tell you there's also been times I felt prompted to pray that are rolled over. Yes, right. yes, sir, right. Amen. Yes, and, and so have you. Yes. And we miss those opportunities and there's a sense of, of, of regret that follows that and so we learn. We learn from that, correct? We learn from that, that I wanna be sensitive to that. I wanna be be sensitive to the word of God and to the prompting of God. And uh, one other thing that this strange command of God suggests, and that is is that the Lord wants to work with us. Now I find that sometimes really bewildering that God would like our hands to be involved in the harvest because he is God and he could do it all by himself. But he said, I want you to go dig ditches in the middle of this valley and that valley is going to be filled with water. Now there is little argument I think in this room tonight or anywhere that God could have sent water and he could have provided a place to store the water. And uh, he, if he can write with his finger in the stone and give the commandments, I promise you, he can etch out a place in the earth to hold water. And he could, have, he could have accomplished every bit of that without any assistance from one of the Israelites. But he did not choose to do so. He said, I want you to dig. I want you to be a part of this. He says to common men, he said, make this valley full of ditches. And when you think about uh, such things that we are involved in as the church in the 21st century, when you think about our modern missions efforts, for, for, for example, when you think about uh, our efforts from the vantage point of this church to some remote region of the world, maybe many people think, you know, that God can save those people without our help. And you know what? You're right, He's God. But God chooses to work through us. And so he says, if you will invest, if you will give, then I will bless you and allow you to be a part of that. And so when you read uh, our Bibles with an open mind and with an open heart, we find human efforts, as a rule, we find human efforts are always accompanying some divine intervention. God chose mankind, men and women, just cop common men and women to work through, to speak through, to impress upon their heart certain things. And so we feel, we feel an assurance that the God of yesterday is still the God of today, and that same God will be God of tomorrow. And so when Jesus Christ's own command is clear, he said, go you therefore and teach all nations. That is the command of God. And so to the best of our ability, I'm certainly not saying there's not room for improvement, but to the best of our abilities that we know, We give everything we have to that effort and try to be a blessing to those that God has prompted to take the gospel to other nations and to other people. And so when we think about that, it brings some clear clear questions for us to answer, I think, on a personal level. And that is, how do we stand or how do I stand in regard to the commands of God Is there any command that God has placed upon our shoulder that we are deliberately or even maybe consistently disobeying? David suggests something that I think ought to be a daily prayer of every child of God. In Psalms 119 and verse 35, I I want you to listen to this. The Bible says, make me to go in the path of thy commandments. That's David's prayer David's prayer is, Lord, make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. David was, David was quite, quite a spokesman. His, his psalms, his writings, his insight, it was from that same pen that he said, Lord, I want you to order my steps in your word. Help me today not to just walk randomly through life. But he said, I wanna walk in the path of thy commandments. And what your commandments are, that's what I want that to be the trajectory of my life every day because therein do I delight in the commandment of the Lord. And so it's clear tonight that we must be obedient to the word of God. And in that obedience, we see the Lord bring great fulfillment to our lives. It's clear from our text that the men of Judah did just as God had commanded them. As strange as this request may have sounded, the Bible says that they made the valley full of ditches. And so, this so these soldiers give us, I think, a good example of submissiveness in the, sight of, in the sight of God, just submitting themselves to the word and the will of God. Remember now, these were fighting men. These were soldiers. These were not construction workers. These were not men that were accustomed to doing what the Lord had asked them to do. But the Lord said, I want you to step out of the norm. I want you to step even out of what you think your purpose is for this day. I know you came to fight, you came to win, but today I'm asking you to dig ditches. And these are common men. But God had asked them to step outside of their comfort zone. They may have thought they would have been better off to move forward or they may have, been, may have thought that they would be better off if they had just pursued their enemies because after all, that was the agenda of the day. Amen. Maybe they thought they would be wasting their time just standing here digging trenches. It sounds like a practical approach to most, right? I mean, let's get this done. Let's do what, let's do what we came to do. We may wonder what possible benefit it would be for us to do some things that God admonishes us to do. How could this possibly change the complexion of my day? What good could it possibly come into my life from from setting the alarm clock a little bit earlier and waking up in time to have the season of prayer and to read our Bible before we just go off and, and start meeting the demands of our day? What possible good could come out of that? What would happen if I took a little time to just pray consistently every morning? What good could happen to that? Amen, I'll tell you some good things can come of that because God has asked us, when I think about, uh, when I think about such men like Daniel that just turned, the Bible says, uh, had a window that was open toward the temple to pray three times a day. There's something about consistency. There's just something about consistency that is just phenomenal. I, I watched just a little small clip uh, the other day online a Brother uh, Lee, Lee Stone King and pardon me for not having all these numbers correct tonight just came to me to say this about him talking about consistency in prayer and fasting and, and how much an hour a day of prayer would be how that how many weeks that would turn into or how many days that would turn into and, and uh, so when you think about it in that regard, just that consistency of praying every day, every day, and to fast one day a week and how uh, that was a little bit over, almost a month and a half, or a little over a month and a half, collectively of fasting throughout a calendar year of just that consistency. You you just can't, you can't hardly beat someone that's being consistent. Someone consistent beats someone every now and then, every time. It's kind of the tortoise and the hare Concept. Somebody that's just praying every day and being consistent in that prayer. That's what I want to do. Some days my prayer may be a little longer than others or a little shorter than others, but I want to be consistent. I want to be that voice in the, in the, I want to have that voice of God in my life. And so you know what? If we're of the mindset that there's no possible good that could come out of that, you're going to soon find that your life is dry. Right. Your life is washed up because, because you got to have something coming in. That's the truth. You've got to have something coming in. There has to be some resource of taking in in order to to give something out. And so what happens when we begin our day with prayer and the reading of the word, I believe what we're doing is we're digging some ditches. By faith, we're just digging some ditches for God to fill up a little bit later. I can't forget whether we're thinking about single efforts or whether we're thinking about corporate efforts of the church, I can never forget That it is the anointing that destroys the yoke. And just a little while before service time or a little while before people actually started gathering, I was walking up and down the aisles of this church tonight and saying, God, I want you to help us tonight because I realize that I can't do this by myself because your word teaches us that it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. And so I want you to bless our singers and our musicians and, and whoever is participating in the service. I certainly was praying and asking God to bless me and to bless you. But what I really need Lord, is the anointing that's what we need. We've got to pray down the anointing in our midst because that is the only thing that can make a difference in our lives. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke. And so, if we're not careful, our lives individually or as a church can be unfruitful, and, if, it, it, and it will be unfruitful if we don't have the anointing of God if we're just relying on sheer talent if we're just relying on sheer ability then after a while it's just going to run aground and so it's not a really it's not really a wonder that there is not strong spiritual power in the preaching of the word a lot and in a lot of places amen i want to make sure that the anointing of the lord is upon what we're saying and what we're doing i think about the scripture i reminded the lord of that today i think about the scripture where this, this lord spoke to the angel and the angel took a coal of fire from off the altar and touched the wavering lips of jeremiah jeremiah that was saying i'm just a child i can't do this here's why i can't do this here's my list of reasons why this will never work and so the angel took a coal of fire from off the altar and touched his lips and said, now don't ever say again that you're a child. Don't ever use that as an excuse again. And so, oh Lord, I ask you tonight to move in our midst and take another coal from off the altar and touch my lips and touch our minds and our hearts and help us to realize that we can't do this on our own effort. We can't just do this by our own ability. We need the power and the work of God. Behind us. You know, um, we can have everything in place as far as the mechanical aspects of church is concerned or the machinery of the church. I, I hate to refer to it as that, but, but um, we can have all of those things in place. But if there's not a real focus on collective and individual prayer and consecration, then all of our well oiled programs are gonna come miserably short. Because we've got to have God with us. At the end of every note being spot on, at the end of every hand clap being right on beat, at the end of everything coming off as we had planned it, if there is no anointing there to destroy the yoke, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. Amen, there's very, very little fruit at the end of the harvest if prayer has not gone first. I'm gonna echo this one more time. I wanna have the church as organized as we possibly can. I don't want us fumbling around trying to figure out what we're gonna do. We're not gonna wait till 7.30 on Wednesday to try to figure out what we're gonna do, amen. We're not gonna wait till 9.59 Sunday to try to figure out which direction we're going, We're gonna have all of those things together as much as we possibly can, but I must always remember and I must always underline that what we've got to have, after we lay our best plan on the table, we've got to lay our hands upon those plans and say, God, Please anoint us as we move forward. We need the anointing, because that is what breaks the yoke. The Bible says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit," saith the Lord. These soldiers didn't think the time lost was lost, which they spent preparing for God's blessing. They just began to dig away. They could have reasoned themselves right out of the will of God. We need to move forward. We need to take the enemy. We're not here to dig ditches. We're not, we're not in the ditch business. We are, we are here to win a battle. They could have reasoned themselves right out of the will of God. But if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in that same place, inclined to reason. Ministries grow weary when you see no fruit of your labor. That's, the, there's, that's why the scripture says, be not weary in well-doing that doesn't say be not weary in robbing banks. Be not weary in well-doing. In well-doing, you can get weary. Sunday school teachers can grow weary in their classes. Outreach ministries can grow weary when there is a constant outgiving, 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 and you just see so little fruit of your labor uh, many, many times. But aren't you thankful that, that the people that were before us, aren't you thankful for a generation? You know, we didn't just get here. We didn't just show up yesterday. We didn't just show up 10 years ago. I'm thankful for those that were before us that just kept digging wells even when they didn't see an end result. They just kept having church. They just kept pressing on. They kept the, they kept the, The uh, oil's burning, so to speak. They kept the fires burning. They kept the lights on. They just kept digging ditches. And you know why we have water today? Because somebody before us kept digging when it made no sense. They kept going when it didn't feel good. They kept swimming upstream, even though their muscles ached and their spirits cried out in thirst. They just kept giving. Where would we be had they thrown in the towel I would say that the gospel would have made very little progress in the world if people that got discouraged the first time turned around and never walked back. But they just somehow took a deep breath of air and said, "I'm going back. I'm going back into the battle." They might have reasoned, "It's not likely that digging trenches in this valley is going to deliver us out of the hand of the Moabites." I mean, what good are these ditches going to do us? We're we're in battle here, and so they could have reasoned that. And so many times, if we're not careful, we can miss what God is trying to give birth to in our lives. Just trying to rationalize it all away. Amen. I pray that God will take us and help us to be like the spirit and have the spirit of these soldiers to believe what god says is for our good and then to yield ourselves to him as willing servants by doing the will of god from our heart from our heart the bible says you know i've i've um, i like many of you have almost heard every little cute story when it comes time to take up an offer and i think i've heard them all We've heard people say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grumpy person as well. On and on and on. (laughs) But you know what? I wanna give my very best to God and I wanna do it with a willing heart. I want my hands to be open. I, I wanna, I preached about this not long ago about holding on to what we have loosely. Let's hold it on, hold on to it, but hold on to it loosely. I wanna yield myself and I wanna do the will of God from my heart. I want my heart to be in it. And you know what? People can tell when your heart's not in it. <laughs> People can tell. I, I've I've uh, gone through a few drive throughs in my lifetime. I'm not proud of this. Just rushed in a hurry, just trying to beat back the hunger pains. We've pulled out of a McDonald's parking lot or... I'm not, I don't want to say McDonald's because Sister Anderson's here but Burger King parking lot them's they're the worst you know back onto the interstate and un, unpackaged a hamburger that did not look like it was packaged with love and care it's honest to goodness it's happened to me And I, I've looked at my wife and I always say the same thing. I said, it looks like it would have crossed somebody's mind that somebody else was gonna have to try to eat this. Right. It just seemed like, just, yeah. I wasn't there. I can't, I can't tell you what happened, but I'm just saying what it looks like happened. <laughs> People can tell when you're not doing it from the heart. And so I don't, want, I don't want a message just piled on you tonight. I want to speak something that'll challenge our hearts and something that, uh, that comes from the heart. 2 Kings 3 and 20, if our musicians would come. And it came to pass in the morning, the Bible says, when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom and the country was filled with water. No one, I would suspect was more focused on these ditches than were the soldiers whose hands were now possibly blistered from digging them. I would suppose no one was more honed in on these ditches than the men that had been involved in digging them. They had put all of their trust in the word of God. As a matter of fact, they put all of their trust in the man of God because it was Elijah that came stepping out there and cleared his throat and said, thus saith the Lord, start digging ditches. Even when it seemed so unlikely that it was gonna come to pass, but what a welcome sight that these ditches were filled with water. You know, when you, when you are so hungry to do something for God. That is the season of our lives that is the most rewarding. The Bible says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. It's those that are hungry and thirsting. Then also the streams that fill the trenches prove to be streams of safety. When the Moabites rose in the morning and looked over the place where the Israelites had encamped, the Bible says that what they saw appeared to them to be blood. The water was as red as blood. They probably had no idea that the water was even there. They assumed it to be blood. And this is what they said in verse 22. They arose up early in the morning and the sun shone upon the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this, this is blood. The kings are surely slain and they have smitten one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up. They said, you know what? They've turned on themselves. They've destroyed themselves. Said, now go take the spoil. And they rose up and they went into the camp of Israel thinking they were going to just take them by force. The Bible says and the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them but they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. They ran them home. They thought they had nothing to do but plunder to the deserted camp of the Israelites but the, but the result was that the Israelites had gained an easy victory. Amen, the same gospel, the same blessings The same hope is given to us here tonight. The gospel which saves us also satisfies us. Amen. I want you to understand me when I say this tonight, please. I don't need the Holy Ghost this evening. I've already received it. I don't need to be saved again. I'm already saved. But I came in the doors of this church tonight because I need to be satisfied in the Spirit. Praise God. Let's stand together. I need the Spirit to satisfy that longing in my heart, that desire. In all of this, we're talking about tonight, human philosophies really fail, they really come up short. And so, we just need the presence of the Lord, the Spirit of God, to take us to a place of absolute and utter obedience. And so make this valley full of ditches. That was the command. It made really no sense. But if you want God's blessing to flow, then we've got to prepare a place for that blessing to come. And so dig ditches, why? We're gonna have water. <laughs> what? But if you don't prepare for the blessing to come, then when there, there won't be one because there's nowhere for it to flow. And the Bible talks about the The woman that was commanded to go get the pots. Just go get the pots. Get pots from everybody. Vessels from everybody you can find. And as long as there were vessels. There was a flowing of the oil. But when the vessels stopped. The anointing stopped. Or the oil stopped. And so we've got to prepare. And so dig wells in the desert. I'm going to say this tonight from my heart. We need to value our church. Value our church. Our church is not better than any other church. I'm not suggesting that at all. This is not the rapture ramp. Believe it or not, everybody going to heaven is not going there via Hatch Bend. But we need to value our church. If this is a church you call home, you need to value that with everything you, you have. Every chance we get, we ought to walk in these doors. Every opportunity we have for prayer, for worship, or for the word, I need to be front and center why this is my church amen this is where god has planted me to start digging ditches amen to prepare and so we need these we need these today i'm glad that among the and amid the evil influences our, of, of the world that we live in i'm so thankful that we've got a place that we can come a refreshing i say it a lot but I, I really mean it i have no idea most especially on wednesday but really anytime what you may have had to go through just to be here I have no idea I have no idea and I guess that would be reciprocal you have no idea about me but there's one thing I do know I'm so glad that when I come into this house I can feel the presence of God what a refreshing amen why don't we close our service with family prayer would you come amen let's just magnify the Lord for a season tonight before we walk out of this place in Jesus' name. Hallelujah hallelujah.
0: This message has been brought to you today by the Media Ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic.